Hi, Rick Samprin here, in for Scott Thompson, and this is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Hundreds of people showing up in front of Sir Winston Churchill High School on Wednesday night for a vigil honoring the memory of Devin Selvey, who was killed on Monday. We'll also talk with Alex Johnstone, the chair of the Hamilton Public School Board, about what the board is doing in light of Selvey's death. Andrew Shear says the, he's going to close the loopholes when it comes to irregular immigration and border crossings. And we'll also get the one word that you use to describe each of the four main federal party leaders here on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Coming up, we're going to talk to the chair of the Hamilton Public School Board about what the board is doing to address bullying. And that brings us to our first topic on the show today. What we're here for tonight is we're here to find peace, to find one another, to find love. It stops here. It stops today. And everywhere it stops. Think about what it's like to be in a situation where you feel completely hopeless. And when you reach out for help, your hand is found to be empty. We want to start a nationwide movement for change. Bullying must stop. Those are some of the sounds from a candlelight vigil last night. Residents attended, upwards of 200-plus people, as they remember the life of 14-year-old Devin Selvey, the boy who was murdered outside Sir Winston Churchill High School on Monday, calling for action on bullying. Students who attended that vigil were also urged to speak up and not be afraid of bullies. And organizers also said the vigil was meant to be a way to mourn the teen's shocking death and to take a stand against bullying. So one of those people behind the vigil last night is Kevin Ellis, and he joins us now on the Scott Thompson Show. Kevin, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Scott. Uh, do you know the, the Bracci Selvi family, or was this just a, uh, you know, a vigil, that uh, something that you jumped on because you felt compelled to do so? Uh, I've been an advocate against bullying for over 30 years, and both of my sons graduated from Sir Winston Churchill, and therefore, as you would probably surmise, it's right in my community. So it was close to home, and it was something that I felt needed to be done, and it needed to be done quickly, uh, because whenever there's a tragedy such as uh, as, as large as a death, um, a lot of times we turn to anger, and we want revenge and, and whatnot, and I thought it was important to get a message of peace out. And you said your kids graduated from Sir Winston Churchill? Yes, both my boys did. Did they have issues, or can they relay uh, information regarding bullying at the school? I attended a couple meetings with the school um, police liaison um, in regards to them uh, making a claim against one of my boys of bullying, only to come to find out that, in fact, he was trying to help um, the girl that was being bullied, and until she came forward and said that my son was in fact protecting her, um, my son was being held on the carpet for what what uh, they believed to have been bullying. You posted a message uh, on your Facebook page that you have made a promise to Devin's mom and sister about a petition. Tell us about that. Uh, the petition is going to Parliament, um, and we're posting it on the government's website once we... Uh, reconvene after the elections and the petition is going to specifically speak to the Young Offenders Act and the changes that are required 
Um, I believe that a lot of the problems that we're seeing in our schools and in our communities today are directly related to our children thinking that they uh, have an immunity or immunity or however you use that word, that um, they no longer are responsible for their actions and they watch the clock thinking that once they turn 18 years old, then they better behave. And we have to teach the kids that, you know, this isn't a game, that uh, life is real, and that when you uh, do something that's illegal, you should be held accountable for it. We're chatting with uh, Kevin Ellis, one of the people behind last night's candlelight vigil for 14-year-old at Devin Selvi here on The Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick in for Scott today. Also right on your Facebook page, quote, we must stop handling children committing criminal acts with kid gloves and hold the bullies accountable for all the damage that they're doing to the incident or to the innocent. So you just referenced that. Why is this so near and dear to your heart? I was bullied uh, myself. Um, for the better part of about five years while I attended a Catholic school on Mohawk uh, Road in Hamilton. I have specific learning disorders, so I was bullied by the school itself. Um, The nuns that ran the school believed that um, because I wasn't learning at the same rate as the other kids, I was lazy. So I um, I was strapped on a regular basis in the school. Uh, My parents were called to the school on a regular basis, stating that I was lazy and that I wasn't learning, and it was simply because I wasn't trying. And I was also um, beat up after school uh, for over three years um, by a a young man that attended a trade school that was close to our our school um, because everybody was laughing at me when we left school because they, they referred to me as the dunce and the dummy, and He heard it, and he just selected to target me every day. So I know what it's like to feel the need of reaching out and asking for help and not getting it. And I know what it was like to go home and, you know, tell my parents and tell my older brothers that I was being beat up every day and coming home with bloody lips and bloody noses and being told to go back to school and fight back. You know, don't let them do this to you. And... Uh, that was the only help I was offered. And when it came to being strapped in the school, um, when I went home, I, I was doubly in trouble for that because my parents were embarrassed that, I, that they were called to the school. So I, I guess, Rick, the big problem here for me today is that, you know, when, um, when parents today are called to the school uh, for incidences of bullying, the first thing the parent of the bully um, or the, at least the child that's being uh, deemed to be the bully, the first thing out of their mouths is not my child. You know, my kid would never do this. You know, how dare you suggest that my child is bullying anybody? And that in itself is the problem. The parents, before they even know what happened, they're immediately taking the defensive and they're not listening. And when they go home, the kids remember what their parents said. But they're not guilty. So as far as the kids are concerned, Mom and dad are on their side. What they're doing is okay, and it just continues. You've also reached out to the Hamilton Public School Board, and we're going to talk with Board Chair Alex Johnstone after the news at 1230, but you've reached out to the board to request a meeting. What do you hope to discuss? Uh, what I want to do is, is I want to discuss that um, the biggest problem, as I see it and my group sees it in the schools today, is that there is no clear-cut, defined policy in place um, to empower the, the principals and the teachers um, and the superintendents on how to deal with bullying. Our schools claim to have a zero 
tolerance against bullying. And in fact, when you ask a teacher or a principal what that means, they don't know how to answer it. The answer is simply, we don't tolerate it. And when, and when you query them again, what does it mean? The answer is, well, you know, we just don't know what to do, right? So what my plan is, is to put in place, um, you know, policy that states that when a child is um, uh, suggested that they're bullying someone uh, and they're called into the office, that we go to a point system and that the first time it happens, they're spoken to. The second time it happens, the parents are called in. The third time it happens, they're out of the school. You know, it, it can't be about taking sides. The schools are terrified to take sides. They don't want to take sides with the bully and they don't want to take sides with the bully because they're fearful of, you know, the parents coming after them. But if we have clear-cut policies in place, there's no longer a fear. These are the rules. Your child's broke them. Now take care of it at home. How confident are you that you will see action from the board standpoint? Uh, I'm confident enough that if the board doesn't hear us and they don't move to make a change, then the next rally that I put forth, you know, will be on the school board's property. You know, last night, I've heard people suggest that we were over 200. The numbers were in excess of 1,000 last night. The streets, the side streets, the front of the school were full with people quietly chanting uh, a peaceful song of Give Peace a Chance. And, you know, we all came together as a community to show our strength for Devin's family. I made a commitment to Devin's mom and his sister that we would make this his legacy. And I've promised that with everything I have, I will make sure that a change takes place, whether it be at Parliament or whether it be uh, at the school board. Changes are going to happen, and they're going to happen in Devin's name. Bullying, as we know, has been around forever. Uh, I'm not sure we've ever, especially in this city, have seen it end like this. And this is without a doubt, the most tragic story of bullying that I can imagine. Not only is it the most tragic, but it's the net result of our willingness to just let it go, let someone else deal with it. It's somebody else's problem. I I just posted on a Facebook message not a week ago, um, uh, a friend of mine had posted a picture of a T-shirt that he was wearing, and it was an anti-bullying shirt, and he stated in the post, that um, his daughter was being bullied at school and nobody cared. And several adults um, piped up and stated, you know, send her for karate lessons. You know, I teach my kids to, 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 to kick them where it counts and to punch them in the throat. And I said to them, you know, are, are you truly listening to the words that you are telling your child? Go to school and kick and fight and my fear is that one day, and I, I, Rick, I swear I said this just last week. I said, my fear is that one day your child's going to go to school. They're going to resort to violence. God forbid that the child that they hit falls and hits their head and succumbs to the injuries. Your child and you will live with that for the rest of your life. And not a week later, a child dies by being stabbed. And so where are we heading with the bullying problem? We've just hit the limit. A young man has has passed away because we as an adult country and and a country that should be, you know, very upset about the bullying that's taken place here have sat back for too long and done nothing. Well, that time has come to an end. 
We're not going to stand back anymore and just watch our kids be bullied. We're not going to pull the bullied kids out of school anymore and relocate them while the bullies stay at the school and enjoy their friendships. The time has come to now make the bullies accountable for what they're doing. Kevin, love your passion. Appreciate the time today. Thank you, sir. Kevin Ellis, a vigil organizer, one of the organizers of last night's vigil in uh, memory of Devin Selvey, the young boy who was killed on Monday as a result of repeated bullying. Still to come on the show, we're going to chat with the chair of the Hamilton Public School Board, Alex Johnstone. I know she was on Bill's show earlier today, but we'd like to get her back just to ask her to reflect on what Kevin had to say, some of his ideas, including, I, I guess, a more robust policy at the school board to identify this issue. And as I mentioned, it's an issue that's been around for a long, time, long, long time. It's an issue that will stick with us for many more years, if not for eternity, because there's always going to be a child or an adult. And this is not just school-based. There are bullies in the workplace. There are bullies, adult bullies in society. It's an issue that's never going to go away. But if we can protect one more child or 10 more children or 100 or 1,000 or continue to multiply that, we don't want another incident like what we saw at Sir Winston Churchill on Monday ever again. Bullying will happen, but children do not have to die. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. The death of... Devin Selvey, the 14-year-old Sir Winston Churchill High School student, tragically killed on Monday. Bullying, being blamed, calls for greater measures, perhaps maybe even increased penalties against those offenders. What they say is just to make people believe that the school, all schools, have the same policy, zero tolerance and zero bullying and everyone belongs and it's not true and no one's held accountable for it it keeps happening that is Devin's mom Sherry Ann Branchy Selvey saying that her son was afraid to go to school was tired of bullies she seemed to be the only one in his corner as he battled through life she says quote he lost all opportunities he's never going to grow up never going to get married never going to know what it's like to be a father You tuned into the news at 12.30. You also heard from Ontario Education Minister Stephen Lecce, who's now promising to investigate the circumstances that led to Devin Selvey's death. Stephen Lecce saying, we all need to take a closer look at the effects of bullying. The safety of children, the paramountcy for my lens is the safety of kids' triumphs. There's got to be appropriate accountability when those circumstances don't manifest in the class. Today is about honoring this young man's life. It's about doing an investigation that brings us to to findings where we can learn collectively, individually, about what we could all do better in the context of safety. Devin's mom also saying that the system failed her son. Let's bring in our next guest here. Alex Johnstone is her name. She is the chair of the Hamilton Public School Board. And, uh, well, I thought she was going to join us, but I think the line just dropped. We're going to get a hold of Alex Johnstone to talk about how the board is handling this. And there are questions being raised surrounding what the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board did 
and what the board didn't do to address the family's concerns about bullying. We have Alex on the line now. Alex, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Rick. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, I know you're on with Bill earlier today. I, I do want to give you the floor just to share your thoughts once again on this tragedy. It, it was a horrendous tragedy. We are all completely in shock. We are heartbroken. Um, all of us across the community are, are looking for answers. I'm happy to hear that the the minister is also going to be looking into to this matter, not just for our school, but all schools. I think that um, we do want to uh, address bullying, but we also we really want to look at violence, uh, not only in schools, but across our communities. Uh, we all have a, a role to play here. And what happened on Monday was was absolutely horrendous. And uh, I think that all of us never want to see uh, that that ever happen in any of our communities ever again. Devin's mom says that the system failed her son. So that would be the education ministry. That would be the school board. That would be the school. Did Did all those factors fail, Devin? I think that we all have an important role to play. The school board, the board of trustees, will be looking to pass a motion uh, in the, uh, you know, in, at our upcoming board meeting to ensure that there is a full review from our end. The police are currently performing an investigation to determine the motive. Um, they are looking to see was bullying playing a factor, um, and uh, I think that the entire community is waiting for that response. At the provincial level, we also need a response, but we also need the response of the community, and that's where I have to say that there's been an outpour of support from local um, organizations, from parents, from students, and that's where we're all going to have to to work together. And school board does play in a very significant, important part in all of that. We saw the community come out last night for a vigil right in front of the school. Obviously, hundreds of people were there. The community is all in on hopefully making some change so that this doesn't happen again. What have you heard from community members? What have you heard from parents of kids, not only at Sir Winston Churchill, but all throughout this city? The issue of, of violence um, is some, and the issue of bullying um, is something that impacts all of us. We all have either had experiences of it directly, either as children or as adults. We've also, or we know someone that's near and dear to us that has gone through through that. So in terms of the response, um, it's something that we've we've all experienced. It's something, anti-bullying is something that our, our schools work to address every single day, not just in Hamilton, but also across all schools. And we need to have tools in place um, to, and the resources as well. Um, the minister did announce today that there was $6.5 million uh, that will be going towards mental health. We are pleased to hear that announcement. Um, it's, um, uh, when it comes to mental health, when it comes to having those supports, they are crucial. They're absolutely crucial in order to support our youth and ensure that they have the resources that they need. We're chatting with Alex Johnstone. She is the Hamilton Public School Board Chair here uh, in the city, uh, here on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick, in for Scott today. What is the policy at the board level regarding bullying right now? Obviously, there's a zero-tolerance policy. How is it handled in schools? 
And I think that the zero tolerance policy comes from the province. Um, that comes from a, a review of safe schools. And um, uh, the policy has been in place. I think that all of us, um, you know, it's it's working to find out, um, and that's where the review will come in place, Has have, have we been following our policy, um, the same policy that's across all schools, is it effective? And what are the resources that we need to ensure that our youth continue to get the support they need? Ultimately, um, it does come down to ensuring that, that youth are not resorting to violence, um, that they know that when they have an issue that they can go to, to parents and that they can go to our schools and that they can go to our community organizations, ensuring that those supports are in place and working with um, those youth who who are also perpetrators of violence so that they're they're stopping um, uh, that so that they're stopping bullying and realizing that um, that that's not the way to negotiate uh, your relations in life the board any board really in this country needs a relationship or maybe in this case a better relationship with its schools when it comes to reporting bullying because teachers uh, school liaison officers whoever is in the mix can't be monitoring every student every second of the day so you need that partnership with students to identify and point out bullying as well right and Rick, that's where we've um, recently launched um, in the past few years the idea that we want to have a caring adult connected to each and every student in all of our schools, especially when you get into high school and um, you begin turning to your friends as opposed to adults for guidance, for, for input. Uh, we want to ensure that there is a caring adult attached to every student. We know uh, from research that there's, there's better success. Uh, when those supports are in place. And also, um, that's also where we introduced the tip line a few years ago to ensure that students who do not feel safe coming forward and want to remain anonymous, that they have that opportunity to do so. And ensuring that our, our students are aware of the resources in place that are in place and why they're so important. It can be so difficult for a student to go to an adult can be so incredibly difficult and that's where we want to break down those barriers and ensure that they they receive the support that they need having a caring adult um may not happen in all cases though and, and how do you ensure that that should or can happen mm-hmm. and i think that's where um at hwdsb that's where we're looking to and have them working to make that um a reality i think um when it's that's where you have staff meetings, you you actually go through the entire school list. Who's connected to this kid? Who? What do we know about them? Uh, what are their day-to-day challenges? Um, and that's also where we do need the support of the wider community. That's where we have community organizations such as Big Brothers, Big Sisters. All those relationships become tremendously important. You want to ensure that that students have adults to turn to in their life. Uh, you mentioned uh, you're doing a review at the board level. What are you going to be looking at? So that that uh, motion will be coming out at uh, likely our next board meeting. And with that, it will be asking staff to put together an internal review. It's going to be incredibly important that that students, our parents, and the wider community, as well as staff, have an opportunity to have input into this process, that that they have an opportunity to have feedback so that we can listen, 
hear not only about the experiences, but also hear about the suggestions in terms of how do we work together to to uh, address what is uh, what is an issue across all schools. We're chatting with uh, Hamilton Public School Board Chair Alex Johnstone here on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick, in for Scott. Uh, Devin's mom said that he was afraid to go to school and tired of bullies. As an educator, how hard is that to hear? Oh, it's incredibly hard. I think that, as I mentioned before, so many of us have had experiences of bullying. And so we know we've gone through it. We know what it's like. Um, so when we hear about instances, it's uh, we all ask, what can be done? What can we do? And and that's where we need to ensure that the proper supports are, are in place um, and uh, to ensure that our youth do have someone to turn to. Have you attended the school? Are our counselors still at Sir Winston Churchill today and throughout the week? Mm-hmm. I was I was in the school on Tuesday. Um, I joined trustees yesterday at the candlelight vigil. It's um, everyone. Everyone is devastated. Um, in speaking with students and speaking with staff, I think that at this point everyone is still in shock. It uh, when we look at Sir Winston Churchill, they have such a a strong school community when it comes to the Bulldogs, the uh, Sir Winston Churchill Bulldogs family. Um, that is where we have the, the football team continuing their game tonight against Southfleet. Um, and it's the game is going to be played in Devon's honour um, and in the spirit of the Bulldogs family. And understand that fans are being encouraged to wear purple, which was uh, Devon's favourite colour. That's a great touch as well. Uh, you know... Students, uh, staff, board members, parents, obviously we're not robots. We feel things. Uh, This is a a tragic story, a very sad story. Uh, How are kids at the school, how are staff at the school coping? I think that the days to come are going to be extremely difficult. How how the community starts to come together, and and that's where you you have the support of the entire community. You, you can't go through an event like this alone, and um, that's where um, the school community is going to be relying on the school board. It's going to be relying on the province. It's going to be relying on all the community organizations that have reached out to us, um, and turning to parents to come together. All of us need to wrap around the school community at this point in, in order to help the students and staff uh, work to, to move through this. It's, it's very challenging. How is the board helping in the police investigation? Um, with that, our, our staff as well as students have gone through interviews, and at this time we're cooperating by uh, giving any any information um, any uh, that that they deem to be required from a board standpoint or even the high school standpoint is there another uh, memorial or some kind of event planned for sometime soon just to honor Devin's memory there is a funeral um, that is that is taking place I, I'm not sure that I'm um, can share those details publicly but I do believe they they are online and um, uh, with that, um, to uh, um, in terms of moving forward at, at this point or to moving through the situation, it's uh, uh, as students 
come forward to staff and uh, and they need to talk about Devin, uh, we're absolutely going to be there for them. We're absolutely going to be having those conversations, having those conversations with kids who are now going to be coming forward with their own experiences and uh, their own fears and um, also um, you know, working through those uh, those students who may also have um, uh, stories where they where they're feeling guilty about different instances. So there's there's going to be so much to to work through, to unpack, to support, and um, and that's where we're going to ensure as we move through this that uh, all the supports are in place. It's been a very sad story. There's no doubt about that, Alex. I appreciate the time on uh, in what has been a trying week for not only the board but obviously the family and, and every uh, every student involved at the high school. Thank you, Alex Johnstone is uh, the chair of the Hamilton Public School Board, joining us to talk about how the board is dealing with this scenario. Not an easy time, certainly for the family, for students at the school, for staff at the school, teachers. Simply a very tragic sequence of events. But to hear that Devin was afraid to go to school. School's supposed to be a safe place. School's supposed to be a place where you obviously learn, but grow at that age. 14 years of age, you you have a tremendous amount of growing to do. And for someone to be afraid to go to what should be a safe space... Something has to change. How to make that change is the question. We know what has to change. Bullying has to stop. I think we can all agree that that is a tall order and a tough ask. And I'm just being realistic here. Because it's gone on forever. And it will continue to do so. But it can't end in a 14-year-old boy's murder. I'm sorry, it just can't. That, we can all agree on, is unacceptable. Alex uh, Johnstone mentioned uh, funeral. We're going to announce those plans. We've been doing it over the news as well, but if you've missed it, stay tuned for that. I'll give you some of the details. If you do want to attend one of the visitations tomorrow or the funeral service itself on Saturday, stay tuned. We'll relay those details to you, including the latest total from the GoFundMe crowdfunding campaign that has been set up to cover the cost of Devin's funeral. The number has risen dramatically. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. You're probably getting ready for it. It might be grimacing at the thought of talking politics at the Thanksgiving dinner table. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. So get your answers ready. And we'll get you some prepared, too, by talking about the election right now. We'll close the loophole in the safe third country agreement. We'll also hire 250 additional officers at the Canada Services, at the Canada Border Services Agency. Every single person who crosses our border, whether it is regularly or irregularly, gets fully processed by our immigration system. If we suspended the safe third country, acknowledging that it is not safe for refugees or people fleeing persecution in the States, 
then we could assure that they could cross normally and then have access to all the same just application of the law that anyone else who's fleeing persecution or death. So yeah, immigration was a hot topic on the election campaign trail yesterday, and conservative leader Andrew Scheer, who you heard off the top there, says he's going to close the loophole that allows tens of thousands of asylum seekers to claim refugee status. He says his plan to stop the flow of irregular border crossers includes hiring 250 additional border officers and making it a priority to fund services such as language training, credential recognition, and the protection of vulnerable people. We will deploy more judges of the Immigration and Refugee Board to the hotspots of illegal border crossers so claims can be processed faster. We will also closely monitor those considered to be a threat for criminality, especially MS-13 gang members. She announced his immigration plan at uh, Roxham Road Crossing. It's in uh, Hemingford, Quebec yesterday. It's become uh, really a focal point for regular border crossers from the U.S. Well, let's bring in our next guest. Giddy Mammon is a senior partner, founder of Mammon Sandaluck Kingwell LLP, is an immigration lawyer and joins us now. Giddy, how are you today? I'm great, Rick. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for joining us today. Well, you heard some comments from Mr. Shear. I'm sure you've read about all that he's proposing. Uh, your two cents on, on what he's planning to do? Most of the stuff is sort of uh, election feel-good stuff. They, you know, they want to safeguard, you know, and emphasize economic immigration. They want to improve language training. They want to, you know, uh, promote a number of different initiatives. The real, the one that I think deserves a lot of attention is this uh, idea that he's going to close the safe third country agreement loophole, as, as, as people call it. So why should we uh, give more most attention to that? Well, first of all, because that's concrete. The rest is hard to uh, it's hard to pin down. I mean, how do you safeguard and emphasize economic immigration? I mean, you could there's, there's there's not too much detail to that. But when they say he's going to close this loophole, you have to understand that this is a, a um, bilateral agreement between Canada and the United States. Uh, Canada can get out of it and just cancel it, you know, say, you know, we're, we're going to end our relationship on this, but it's going to be the net loser on this. What it really wants to do is renegotiate. And quite frankly, the United States has absolutely no reason to renegotiate because they are winning handsomely with this agreement. And uh, Canada can't cancel the agreement because they're going to suffer enormously by, by canceling the agreement. So I don't know how... Uh, Andrew Scheer is going to be able to persuade the Americans to change that agreement in a way that favors Canada. So how is the U.S. winning and how are we losing in this agreement? What's happening? Very simple. Uh, Canada and the United States got together because what was happening is a person would make a refugee claim in, let's say, the United States. They were unsuccessful. They crossed the border to Canada made a second claim. So they got two kicks at the can. Countries got together and said, look, if they arrive in Canada first, they can only make a claim in Canada. If they arrive in the United States first, they can only make a claim in the United States, and they cannot make an additional claim in the other country. That only applied to proper points of entry, because otherwise the governments were enforcing the borders between Canada and the United States, and if there were any gaps in them, they would deal with those. But since Justin Trudeau became the prime minister, that is no longer the case. So now we have people coming at Roxham Road. They were going to Roxham Road because if they went from the United States to Canada at a proper point of entry, they would be stopped by the safe third country agreement. But between the two points, they're not. So they're coming in at places like Roxham Road. And instead of uh, preventing that or closing that or sealing that part of the border, the Canadian government is allowing them in. So what is actually happening, 
happening is the United States about has about 10 or 12 million uh, undocumented people in the United States. Through this process, tens of thousands are moving northward to Canada using this loophole or this, uh, you know, lack of application at these points, uh, benefiting the United States immensely. They are basically self-deporting themselves at no cost to the U.S. government and at tremendous cost to the Canadian government. Now, going the other way, almost no one is going the other way. There is no one who is in Canada and prefers to make a refugee claim in the United States and crosses south. Almost no one, because our system is considerably more generous. So if there's 10,000 going north, I can't even imagine one going south. Asked uh, yesterday if detention camps were something a conservative government would uh, create at the border, the party simply said that the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act provides criteria for detaining asylum seekers. As an immigration lawyer, does that worry you? Uh, well, we've been de- dealing with the same criteria for you know the 30 years plus that I've been practicing in the area. I'm not sure that he's suggesting anything. Uh, are you saying that he's saying he wants to build detention centers for uh, uh, refugee claimants in Canada? I'm simply saying the question was asked, and he he just said that it provides a criteria for detaining asylum seekers. So he didn't come out and say, yeah, we're going to have detention camps, right. but there's a criteria in there <laughs> for detaining these asylum seekers. Who knows where right. they're going? Maybe that's the question. Where are they going right now? Well, uh, frankly, if you, if you go to Roxham Road, you'll see that almost no one is really detained. What's happening is they cross the ditch, they're taken into a portable right on the, the, the border. They, uh, quick background checks are done, they're fingerprinted, they're documented, uh, they're photographed, and then uh, within a few hours, uh, off they go. So no one is really being detained unless something significant shows up. So uh, if you say, if you tell me Andrew Shearer is going to build camps to hold these people, I don't think that's going to happen because um, there's just too many coming. There's just no way you can build enough detention facilities uh, to house these people unless you're going to use, I don't know, what military uh, bases or something like that. And keep in mind, if you just go a little bit south, the Americans have exactly the same problem. They're receiving over 100, 110,000 people a month. You can't build detention centers to keep up with that so if you if you're going to detain them all there's no way you can build that fast and that's why we see uh, some of the big box stores the costcos and the walmarts that were uh, emptied or vacated and they were turned into temporary uh, detention centers uh and and you know they were partitioned by chain link fence and this is where people get the idea that children are sitting in cages uh, so I'm not sure that uh, anybody is going to even attempt to do that. Right now we have some immigration detention centers where we hold people who need to be held, uh, but the vast majority of the people that you see at the border are, are not candidates for detention. They're neither necessarily a known dangers to the public. Identity is usually not an issue, and they're probably not flight risks because in most of the cases they're not fleeing any kind of prosecution. Our guest is uh, Giddy Mammon. He is an immigration lawyer, city uh, senior partner, founder of uh, Mammon Sandaluk Kingwell LLP, uh, talking about uh, Andrew Shear saying that he's going to close loopholes when it comes to irregular immigration and border crossings. One of the options also being discussed by Mr. Shear is to declare the entire Canada-U.S. border an official port of entry. Can that be done? Uh, that would be interesting. 
um, that would raise some some conceptual problems. So, for example, for the purpose of the Safe Third Country Agreement, yes, that would seem to work. But what would happen then if some American or somebody else just crosses in the middle of a field? If that's a legal port of entry, it would not be illegal then to cross into Canada without going to what we now consider an appropriate and proper uh, port of entry, like one of the, uh, you know, one of the bridges that we have here in this area, at the, you know, the Niagara region. So I'm not sure if it's the whole thing is legal. That means I can just cross anywhere I want. That conceptually, that's hard to understand. But maybe they can uh, define it in such a way that it will only apply uh, for the purpose of the safe third country agreement and for no other reason. I guess they would have border, and I'm just speculating here, they would have border guards right across the border, which to me, yeah, you're creating jobs, but man, oh man, how do you enforce that? The, the, the cost of that is um, gargantuan. Unrealistic. Yeah. It's unrealistic and strategically, and it, it, it just can't work. There's just way too much. Uh, there's just way too much land uh, and hills and rivers and blind spots uh, to be effective. And honestly, the cost is going to outweigh any benefit uh, to the taxpayer. Most of the people that are coming across the border, uh, in my view, uh, maybe not the significant majority, but maybe 50, 55%, maybe more, are economic immigrants to Canada. Uh, They don't pose a threat. They're just people who are relatively poor and their options in Canada are better and they can better feed their families in Canada than than they can uh, where they're coming from through the United States. So, you know, treating it, treating it as if we're, you know, um, you know, the subject of an armed insurrection is is not going to help. It's just going to cost too much money. What really has to happen is we have to decide as a country, whether or not, this is an appropriate way of receiving and processing refugees. Whether or not Canada has an obligation to leave a hole in the fence. Every country in the world has the right to a secure border. And for some reason, uh, our Prime Minister right now does not feel that he can simply put a fence at Roxham Road and stop that flow. I'm not sure why, because that has been traditionally the approach from every government that I have seen um, prior to, uh, to to this one, that uh, we don't facilitate people crossing a ditch into Canada. We prevent them. We put up a barrier uh, wherever it's needed. So, Giddy, if you had the ear of the next Prime Minister, whoever that is, what would your suggestion be? Just to put up some fences, especially at Roxham Road, and, and make sure but, the appropriate people are coming in? Yes, I, I think there's a better way of... Uh, so I think we can do a better job of selecting refugees than people can themselves. I don't think people should be self-selecting. Canada has, uh, is, is a world leader in humanitarian relief. There are people right now who have been sitting in refugee camps all over the world for years. They are still people who are suffering the emotional and physical scars of terrible conflict. And they need more than anybody to be looked after. So I think Canada has the right, maybe even the responsibility, to secure the fence wherever it needs to be secured. Obviously, you can't build a fence from one side of the country to the other. But where we see high levels of traffic, that needs to be secured. And since we choke that point off um, uh, from a source of refugees, then we have to 
maybe go out and say, look, we want X number, we're willing to help out X numbers of refugees this year, and Canada can pick whatever number it wants, 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, and it will find plenty of them in refugee camps all over the world. And they can select those people upon any criteria that they want. And I feel and I truly believe that that pool will be a lot more meritorious than any other pool of potential refugees that we can find. Now that sounds like a sensible plan. Giddy, appreciate the time today. Thank you very much for having me. Giddy Mammon is an immigration lawyer, senior partner, founder of Mammon Sandala Kingwell LLP. You can check them out uh, online for more information on this topic. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are continuing our election talk. I think the things that, that make a good prime minister is recognizing that we're public servants. We haven't won some kind of lotto. We don't get to lord it over everybody. We're here as your employee and we want to work. Cutting taxes for the middle class will be the first thing we do as a re-elected liberal government. We did it before and we'll do it again. The fact of the matter is he's always wearing a mask. He puts on a reconciliation mask and then fires the attorney general, the first one of indigenous background. He puts on a feminist mask and then fires two strong female MPs for not going along with his corruption. I want to say this directly to Canadians. You do not need to choose between Mr. Delay and Mr. Deny. There is another option. All right, so you've heard there from the four main federal party leaders, and we're just focusing on the four main ones. We're not talking about Maxime Bernier, uh, or, uh, and he escapes my uh, my memory right now, the leader of the Bloc Quebecois. We're leaving those two individuals out of the race and, and a lot of the other uh, really parties that are sitting on the periphery. We're just focusing on the Liberals and the Conservatives and the NDP and the Green Party. So don't get your knickers in the knot that we're not talking about the PPC or the Bloc. Because let's face it, they don't have a hope in hell forming the government in this country. So, use one word. And if you want to use two, okay. Even three, that's fine. I'm looking for one word to describe each of Canada's four main federal party leaders. We got some comments coming in on Facebook and Twitter. I'll get to those in a second. We also have some callers coming in as well. But I do want to mention this. I'm going to give you my one word for each. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau, my one word is defensive. He is on the defensive. We saw it in the leaders' debate. In some of the messaging that he has spread across this nation, he's trying to hold on for dear life to what he already has. And the polls are showing he's going to lose a few colleagues along the way. Trudeau, defensive. That's my one word for the leader of the Liberal Party. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer, unengaging. I can't think of a more boring political leader than Andrew Scheer. He just does not grab you at all, at least for me. I want some fire, especially from an individual who appears to be on the cusp of becoming prime minister, who could be the prime minister come October 21st, or PM-elect, I guess we would call him. For a guy who's that close, he is unengaging. 
NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Backpedaling. I looked it up. It's one word. It can also be used as two words, and it's also hyphenated. Backpedaling for Jagmeet Singh, and I'll explain that in a couple minutes. And for Green Party leader Elizabeth May, my word is flat. And I struggled a bit with Elizabeth May because she is the most veteran of the four main party leaders. And maybe it's just because the messaging from Miss May, for me, is the same old song and dance. And, I don't know, for me it just falls flat. 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Those are the phone numbers to call to give me your one word to describe each of Canada's four main federal party leaders. You can chime in on CHML's Facebook page. The list is there. You can send us a tweet at AM900CHML or shoot me a note on email, rick at 900CHML.com. To the phones we go. Dave in Hamilton calling in. Dave, how are you? Not too bad, thank you. Very simple. I'll describe uh, Singh as naive. I'll describe uh, May as naive. Uh, Sheer Bland and Trudeau Pinocchio. <laughs> I like Pinocchio the best. But, I, I do too. <laughs> but Bland, I, I, I'm with you. Unengaging, bland, boring, blah. Andrew Sheer, come on. Yeah, he needs to, you know, it's, it's, it's just not his personality, I guess. You know, it's just some people have it. They don't. Trudeau has it, but no substance. So, you know, it's pick one or the other. Dave, appreciate the call. Thank you. Thanks for kicking things off here. Pinocchio, <laughs> I love that one, for Justin Trudeau. Bland for Andrew Shear, naive for both Singh and May. And yeah, you can have doubles. They don't have to be different for each one. On Twitter, at Rick Samprin or at AM900CHML. Stefan or Steven. He has Trudeau as phony, Shear as leader. Sing as cool, and May as misguided. Very interesting. And a tweet from Mark at Rick Samprin writes, Trudeau entitled, sheer incompetent, sing reasonable, May confusing. He's also added Bernier and the block leader. Bernier racist and block leader who? Great tweet from Mark. What's the one word you would use to describe each of Canada's four main federal party leaders. Hey, if you want to throw in the block and the PPC, go at it. But we're focusing on Trudeau, Sheer, Singh, and May. 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. You can email rick at 900chml.com. On Twitter, at am900chml. Hey, if you want to tweet me too, at Rick Samprin, go ahead and do it. Also on CHML's Facebook page. We have some interesting comments coming in there. Tony, <laughs> I like this one too, because I think most Canadians are thinking this. Tony's word for all four is useless. Tony, you may have just summed up the 43rd general election here in our great country. Useless all four is Tony's comment. Steve on CHML's Facebook page says, Trudeau moron, sheer leader, Singh incompetent, and May, and this is Stevens writing, May drunk. 
Now, I'm going to go that far. I think May is at least competent. She knows what she's talking about. Some of the ideas you may not agree with, but I don't, I don't think she's under the influence. Nonetheless, Stephen, I appreciate the comment on CHML's Facebook page. 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. You can email rick at 900chml.com, on Twitter at am900chml, at Rick Samprin. Also go on to CHML's Facebook page. What's the one word you would use to describe each of Canada's four main federal party leaders? For me, Trudeau is defensive, sheer, unengaging, sing, backpedaling, and Elizabeth May flat. And again, I'll explain that backpedaling in a, in a minute or two. Uh, Joan in Oakville saying that Sheer is capable, Trudeau corrupt, May academic, and Singh charming. Funny how one person thinks that Elizabeth May is drunk, the next thinks that she's academic. That is a wide range. I'd probably swing to the latter. Luca has called into the show. Hey, Luca, how are you? Hello, Luca. Hello. Hey, Hi. how's it going? Good, good. Good, thanks for calling in. What's what's your one word to describe each? Trudeau is a cheater. Andrew Shear is a leader. Singh is hopeful. And Elizabeth May, uh, she's competent. She's competent. Okay. Appreciate the call, yeah. Luca. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you. A cheater for Trudeau. A leader for Sheer, and nice things for Singh and May. Singh hopeful, May competent. I think they're all hopeful. I think they're all hoping to grab that brass ring. 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell phone. What's the one word you would use to describe the four main federal party leaders? Send us a tweet at AM900CHML, at Rick Samprin. Interesting comment from Bill. Why did you leave May in when she has no more of a chance of winning the election than the ones you eliminated at the start, which was the PPC and the Bloc? And Bill, you're 100% right. But we could probably already say that for Jagmeet Singh as well. I mean, he has no shot at forming a government. It's just not going to happen. It's never happened before. It's not happening this year. I just don't, I don't think people care about the PPC or the Bloc. They're so far removed from us here in Hamilton, from us here in Ontario. Those two parties are so far removed, I think, from our conscience that people really probably don't have an opinion on them. Although I will give one of the tweeters credit in calling Bernier racist and Bloc leader who. So, yeah, we know they exist. But, I mean, we really have four main federal parties. PPC's trying to get there. And the bloc is basically focused on Quebec. So I guess until you have a seat in the House of Commons, which the bloc has had for many years, maybe you shouldn't be considered on this list. But I'm getting off track here. PJ on Twitter says, Trudeau liar, sheer, meh. Sing, nice, and may, loony. I like the meh for sheer. 
Casey on Twitter says, Justin Trudeau soft, Andrew Shear liar, Jugmeet Singh viable, and Elizabeth May who? And Christine also on Twitter says, Trudeau inexperienced, Shear sleazy, Jugmeet not ready, and Elizabeth May boring. So she doesn't like any of them. Although inexperienced for Trudeau, I mean, that's an interesting comment. Because he has been an MP, and he's been, well, as we know, Prime Minister for the last four years. So inexperienced is an interesting comment. What's the one word you would use to describe each of Canada's four main federal party leaders? We're, what, 11 days away from voting day? We'd have had everything from... Soft, to liar, to cheater, to Pinocchio for Justin Trudeau. Leader, bland, meh for Andrew Scheer. Naive, nice, viable, not ready for Jugmeet Singh. And for Elizabeth May, everything from flat to confusing to... Looney and drunk, <laughs> which I still think it's offside. But this is what people are this is what people are saying. And here's one other thing to chew on. With Thanksgiving weekend approaching, many families are going to be gathering around the dinner table, and after giving thanks, they're going to talk politics. Who are you going to vote for? Why? You know the questions are coming. You know the discussion will be had. Because, well, it's in the news. And you may have arguments break out. Or you might have a consensus at the dinner table as you're breaking bread. Either way, chatter at the dinner table this weekend is likely going to cement many people's decision on voting day. Now, do you talk politics at the dinner table or is that a no-go zone? I hate doing it, especially on holidays. But I get dragged into it, and it'll happen to me. Good luck if it happens to you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. The Scott Thompson Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.